How's it going? Can you hear me? Great. Okay. Um, so, hi, my name is Jacob. Um, I'm on staff here as a resident. So, welcome to Salt Company. Um, glad you're here. So, I'll just hop right into it here. So, recently I just graduated from Tippy, um, which is the, yeah, yeah, represent, represent. So, I, I graduated with a degree in finance and business analytics. And so, I came into college knowing that business was like something I wanted to do. So, I was pretty like sold on the whole like get into the tippy culture thing. And so when I arrived into Iowa City, I was like, all right, throw me right into it. I've got some big decisions to make about like what kind of tippy bro that I wanted to be. So like in high school, I was the kind of person that like wanted to be friends with everybody. I wanted to be the best at like all the student orgs I was in. I wanted to do well in classes and that didn't work out for me. I did way too much. And so when I got to college, I was like, all right, I got to figure out like what kind of person I was going to be. And so it's like some of the questions I was asking myself is like, what orgs would I get involved in? Who would I make friends with? Would I try and make like a lot of friends or like more meaningful um, relationships? Would I dress a certain way? Would I try and be a good student? And so what I kind of ended up with was I decided that I'd try and be an outgoing person that would make a lot of friends or build a big network, as we call it in Tiffy. Um, I would try and do well in classes, but I didn't want to be like the smartest person because I didn't want the pressure of like having notes or the answers to other things. And then I decided I'd be in a small amount of like extracurricular activities and I would invest a lot of time in them so I could be like president or whatever you like shoot for in those things. And so that's kind of like what I picked up on, on how to live this like tippy life that would bring you success or bring you like a lot of meaningful um, friends. I was really just like leaning into what people had done before me, what the culture was around me. And after freshman year, I'd kind of done a lot of those things. I'd like gotten involved. I was like a good student, but not a great student. I had like made friends. And as I was kind of like reflecting on my freshman year, I was kind of asking myself this question of like, was this really like making me happy? Was this making me the kind of person that I wanted to be? Was I like accomplishing the things that I was trying to accomplish was like search like getting the things that I was like searching for out of this and what I kind of came to realize is like no it didn't offer me like any of those things that I was looking for and that's because like the culture that I was um, in at the time was was just giving me this like weak idea of what it meant to be um, just like a valued person a meaningful person a joyful person and so that's kind of like the tension that we're wrestling with tonight is that culture will preach you these false and weak gospels. Um, so kind of before we, we jump into it here, the, the disclaimer that I'm going to make here is that no culture is like 100% good or 100% bad. I know we got some tippy haters or like some tippy lovers out there, but like any culture you get into, whether it's, you know, American cultures or um, cultures within Iowa City even, like they're not going to be this 100% good or 100% bad culture. And the gospel of Jesus is actually cross-cultural, so it can move across cultures and find its way into any um, culture across the world. And it's also not anti-culture. The point of the gospel isn't to get rid of culture, but um, it is counter-cultural. It is going against these prevailing social norms. And so when I'm kind of like talking about this tension of culture preaching a false and weak gospel, we have to keep those things in mind. That's not um, anti-cultural, but it is counter-cultural. And so as I was like a student in Tippy, I was 
trying to live this good life according to that culture. I was, I was told, if, hey, if I join these orgs, if I be this kind of student, I'll actually get the job that will give me money. It'll do the things that I want it to do. And that's what any culture does, right? They, they offer these, these false gospels. We see it even all over in our own country. Like, if you look at a big city, if you work hard, you'll make a name for yourself, and you'll be, like, a valuable person because of that. We see, like, in the South, if you show up to church, you're a righteous person, and if you get your family to show up to church, that, that's a bonus, and then if you do more in the church, that's even more of a bonus. In the suburbs, you see that if people just live this comfortable and safe life, that'll lead to happiness. In our own city, we see that in Iowa City, if only you just become this great student, if only you became the life of the party, if only you fought for or even made political change, then you'll be worth something. And so, as we kind of continue in the series of Paul, we see what begins to unfold as Paul is bringing the gospel to Ephesus. And the people in Ephesus had to make a choice. They had to choose between continuing this, this lifestyle over here that was according to their own culture, their own devices that they had created. And on the other hand, they had to make the decision of, oh, well, maybe I should follow this gospel that's countercultural to the ways um, that we've been living and we can learn from the gospel's confrontation of Ephesian culture because it actually, the gospel confronts all cultures across all time and across all places. So the framework of the, tonight is going to be that there's going to be three things from Acts 19 that we'll see that culture's preaching in Ephesus that also kind of transcends into our culture now. And then we'll see um, kind of on the flip side in contrast to that, the three things that scripture preaches that are countercultural. So we'll jump right into the text. We'll be in Acts 19, starting in verses 8 and 10. So if you would flip there with me, that would be great. All right, so Acts 19, 8 through 10 says this. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some of them became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking disciples and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. And so, although it's not abundantly clear what's, what's happening here, um, we see that what, what's happening is that the gospel is being preached all throughout Ephesus, and people have to make this decision. And what we see in Ephesus is that the culture is preaching that you need to do what makes you happy. And the Ephesian way of life kind of revolved around three things. It revolved around money, it revolved around politics, and it revolved, uh, uh, revolved around religion. And so what we see with money is Ephesus was this important port city, and so there was money flowing through the city because of all the trade that was taking place. And if you could only, like, amass all this money that was coming in or all this um, wealth, you could kind of find happiness in that. Or maybe you were just proud to be a Roman, kind of similar to this, like, American patriotism that we see today. It's like we're living, like, they believed that they were living in the best place um, that it ever existed. And so if you were, like, a proud Roman um, citizen, that would bring happiness, too, because you were living this, this great life. And with the religion, we see that there is this temple of Artemis in the Greek mythology, and um, if you could like become this righteous person, you'd get happiness from that. And 
the, the, what they were preaching is, hey, if you kind of like grab from all these things and do what makes you happy and all of that, that's kind of what leads to a happy life. And so we see that this kind of transcends into our culture, right? It's like if you make a lot of money, maybe you can live a comfortable life that other people aren't living. If you like bring change through um, political action or through what you do in your community, like you'll be a valued member of your society. And if you follow like a religion that makes you happy, name any of them, Christianity, atheism, astrology, self-help religions, like all those things, if you pick one of those that makes you happy, that's good enough, and that's what, what people will preach in the culture. But what we see on the flip side is that, that Paul is actually countering this idea. And we see this in Ephesians, which is um, just a little bit later in, in Scripture. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesian people. And so we'll be flipping back and forth between Acts and Ephesians. And so if you'd flip to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll see how Paul is kind of confronting this idea of doing what makes you happy. So we'll be in Ephesians 1, verses 5 through 6. And we'll be doing this throughout, so maybe keep a finger in both of them. Um, So Ephesians 1, 5 through 6 says this. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, and and to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. And so what we see that uh, Scripture is preaching here is that following me brings joy, me being Jesus. And so, um, yeah, we see that there, there's something deeper than, than this happiness that, um, that culture is preaching. It's more than just chasing after the momentary and, and wavering emotion. So a good example of this is my relationship with ice cream. So a lot of times, <laughs> yeah, Everyone knows where this is going probably. So it's late at night and you're hungry and the only thing that sounds appetizing is like a pint of Ben and Jerry's or like going to Dairy Queen really quick. And if you know anything about me, you know that I'm a self-diagnosed lactose intolerant person. (laughs) And so when I think ice cream's really good, that's the last thing that is running through my mind that, hey, this ice cream might do a little something. And so you know, I I chase after this ice cream, I'm I'm eating it and I eventually hit the bottom of it and not even realizing that it's gone. And pretty quickly, I'm not happy after that. It was good in the moment, but it wasn't uh, really worth it. So I won't elaborate on that. But that's what happiness is, right? It's, it's chasing this like momentary feeling of, of, of just feeling good. But what we see is that Scripture is preaching us to chase after joy. And joy is what, what's in the heart and soul. And it's like this unwavering feeling. We actually see that it's promised by God, um, but the thing with joy is you have to choose it, and it can be very difficult for that, so um, to do that, and so if you imagine that I have a lake house, because I don't know, it's cool, I have a lake house, and I invite you to my lake house for the 4th of July, and you show up, and you know, I have boats, jet skis, spike ball, you know, you can lay out in the sun, it's going to be this great day, but you show up, and you have a bad time, like who's fault is that? Who's, who's to blame? Well, it's, you probably can't blame the host, right? Because I've, I've offered these really fun things to do. I've given a lot of options. There's a lot of things you can be doing. Um, and so that's kind of what we see with joy. Joy is, is Jesus being the host of this party, and he's inviting us into joy. And it's actually hard to be a joyful person. It's not, it's not this easy thing, and it's not to blame when you're feeling not joyful or, or anything like that. But it actually is a discipline that we have to build because it's worth it. It's, it's worth it to follow Jesus, and it can be hard to, to 
live for joy because happiness is right there. It's right, you can do just about anything to make you happy in the moment, but joy is this thing that we have to fight for. And so we can do this really simply. It can look like singing, it can look like reading, it can look like eating good food, it can look like enjoying creation, and those are things that actually fill the soul. Culture says, you know, you have to follow your happiness, but we know that that like constantly leaves us unsatisfied, but pursuing Jesus is worth it. Pursuing the things that that he's given us to enjoy is is worth it and will bring this unwavering joy as we build the discipline of delighting in what he's given us. And so to continue with this, so we see that the gospel was um, presented to everyone in um, Ephesus, which is just crazy to think about in the first place. But what we see kind of unfolding is a response from the Ephesian people that leads us to see that the gospel is actually received by a lot of people um, people actually believed it, and it created change in Ephesus. And so if you jump ahead in Acts 19 to verses 24 and 25, we'll see what unfolds there. Okay, so verse 24 and 25 says this. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. And so what's kind of being preached here by Demetrius and is being picked up by the people is that what you earn is a result of what you worked for. So we see that this is what the culture is preaching. This isn't just um, in the silversmith trade. This is all across Ephesus. And this is something that's really easy for us to relate to, right? Like, when I, when I was growing up, you learned this from a young age, like if I had this really good lemonade stand and I was on like the best corner, I had the best lemonade, I had the most energy, like I was going to get a lot of money for that. And that idea like begins to just like become cemented in our lives as we become students, right? It's like if you work hard in your classes, you study, you do all these things that the, the teacher tells you to do, you'll likely end up doing well. And what's hard about this is that what happens when you're actually not getting a good grade, when you're not making money, when you're not doing the things that you're working for? What, what culture is telling you then is you're actually not worth it. Your value fluctuates with your ability or with your intellect or with your impressiveness, and that's counter to what Scripture and what the Gospel says. So if we go back to Ephesians, we'll be in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 here. Um, it says this, "...in him we have redemption through his blood." the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. And so on the flip side here, we see that scripture preaches um, what you earn is a result of what I've done. What you earn is a result of what Jesus has done. And it says you are redeemed because of what Christ has done, right? It's, it's through his blood that this has happened. And this is super countercultural to what we believe, right? If, if we believe that, hey, if you work hard, you'll do well. Well, what this is saying is actually, if you work hard, that still leads you to your own self, and it actually doesn't get you anywhere. And so, if you imagine you, you're taking a test, and you didn't study for it, you didn't show up to class, you, you didn't do anything to do well in it, and you get an F, um, that would make sense, right? You'd be like, oh yeah, I, I didn't Get what I, I got what I deserved. But then let's say you go into the professor and you're like, hey, can I get an A? Or can I, I guess maybe 
you're asking like, hey, what can I do to get this a better grade? I want to give it another shot. And the professor just says like, I'll just give you an A. The response probably wouldn't be like, hey, well, what about all the stuff I did before? Like, if, if you saw the way I was like a student before, um, yeah, maybe you see that I'm like a really hard worker and I've like really earned this A. Or maybe you're kind of saying like, well, just give me another chance. Like, I'll take the test again. Can I have an A? That would be stupid, right? Because the, the professor is just giving you an A. You don't, you don't need to like beg for something that's being freely given to you. And that's what the economy of grace is that, that the Christian lives in. It's, it's not anything that we've done. We have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness through his blood. It's the riches of his grace. And so it's not anything that we can muster up in ourselves. It's actually this culture of grace that we live in. And it's something that we can't escape once we put our faith in Christ because it is by his blood. It's not by anything that we do. And so if we're, we're living in a way that is counter to what um, grace is saying, it's, that's actually just not true because grace is, is something that we can't change. God gives us that when we put our faith in him, and you can't take that away. And so, finally, we'll, we'll move on to the last thing that we see in this text. So if you would go back to Acts 19 for the last time, and we'll be in verses 26 through 28 here. So starting in 26, it says this, You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hands are not gods. Not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin. The very one all of Asia, Asia would, the world worship, and the world worship. When, the, when they had heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so what happens after this is these people get all riled up because they're like, you're disrespecting our God, you're disrespecting the fact that we want to make money, you're disrespecting the reputation of Rome even, and that's because of what the gospel is doing. The gospel is saying, hey, actually, if you're going to accept this, if you're going to believe this, you can't live in the way that you once were. And so people like fill up this amphitheater, they're getting all outraged, and they're like chanting things, and they're rushing to the amphitheater and filling it up. Ultimately, what happens is it kind of just gets dispersed, and not much is said about that. But think about what that would look like in Iowa City. Imagine the gospel is, is exploding here and there's people whose lives are being changed and people all of a sudden just like start flooding into Kinnick. They're just like jumping over the fence. They're, they're just like chanting like, great are the Hawkeyes of Iowa City. Like, great are the things that we've built. Like, that would be crazy to us, right? But that's probably the response that we would see. Like, people would be outraged. People would not be happy because the people in Kinnick would be saying, hey, like, look at what we've built in Iowa City. Like, this is a great city. We have a great institution. We have this great culture. We have all these great things. And what you're saying is the gospel is saying that this was actually all because of our pride or this is all because of um, just, yeah, our selfishness. And people would be upset about that. And, and so what we see, like, the way culture responds and what culture will preach is that outrage brings change. They believe that if only we were to get outraged enough, we can actually see change in the world. And that's, that's the way that the world responds to evil and wrong, is with outrage. And so a couple of super easy examples that we see of this is like, when a Hawkeye football does poorly, what do people do? They just get pissed. Like, their, their week sucks. Like, they get mad. They're like ranting on social media. And it's funny because like, 
people don't know, but they, they think that if, if they speak up enough, maybe like Kirk Ferentz will hear it and be like, oh, I really do need to like make that change that you're saying. Like just this random guy's like, oh yeah, maybe we shouldn't run it down the middle like every time. Um, and then, like another thing in Iowa City is like when policy change goes into effect, we see these protests and we see these riots and kind of the question that's, that's being begged to be answered is like, does outrage actually change any of these things? Do we see like a meaningful change from what's going on? It's like, why, why do we think that this constantly, um, or why do we constantly think that this like actually brings change? Because that's the way I, I've responded plenty of times is just when something doesn't go the way I think or it's counter to what I believe, I become outraged. And I don't know why we do this, but we have to ask the question, does that really change anything? It maybe brings this momentary change, but we see that the problem of, of humanity still is underlying within all of these issues. And so we'll flip back to Ephesians. Um, we'll be in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and we'll see how Paul kind of counters this last point. All right, so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says this. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is, a, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so the last thing we see that scripture preaches countercultural to what the culture is saying is that grace, grace actually changes you. And so to elaborate on this point, there's, there's a story of in the early 1900s, this um, Newspaper writer was asking this question of what's wrong with the world? So they're collecting these responses from a variety of people. And this question eventually got to um, this guy, G.K. Chesterton, who's a theologian and writer. Before we kind of see how he responds, we kind of have to ask, like, well, what, what would culture say? What would, what would we say about what's wrong with the world? And so we see a lot of finger pointing. We see, oh, it's, it's the government over here that's wrong. If only the government was different. It's, it's corporate greed. It's this thing that um, people are just trying to like, amass this money and be greedy. That's, that's wrong with the world. Or it's because there's war. It's because there's famine. It's because all these things. It's because the Democrats. It's because the Republicans. We, we see people are pointing fingers at like, oh, this is the reason that the world is wrong. Well, what happens here is we see G.K. Chesterton, he's also pointing a finger. He also has something to say um, in response to this. So here's what he says in response to what's wrong with the world. If you throw on the screen, screen here. He says, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. So what he's actually doing is he isn't pointing the finger this way, right? He's, he's turning it back on himself. He's saying, we are the problem with the world. It's, it's me that's the problem. And Man's anger and, and man's outrage doesn't produce righteousness. It doesn't actually change the world. It's actually only the grace of God that can bring change to me. And so what do we do with this problem that, that culture preaches, um, all these fake or false and weak gospels? Well, if we look at Ephesus, the gospel explodes, and everyone heard the gospel, and it, it created this, this movement. And that kind of begs the question, what would happen in Iowa City? if the gospel exploded here. Like, do you ever think about that? That, like, what would actually take place in Iowa City if the gospel exploded the way that did in Ephesus? And what I think would happen is, you know, 
the easy way would be, or the easy thing to say would be, hey, the bars would shut down. I think it's actually more than that. I think students wouldn't put their worth in their grades. People wouldn't put their happiness in the way Hawkeye sports do. We would see people stopping downtown because of the, the homeless population. We'd see people actually going outside of their homes to care for their neighbors, and people wouldn't be able to brush off this idea of Jesus because they would see the change that's happening in front of them. And we would see this like Garden of Eden ideal unfolding before our very eyes. It wouldn't just be this, this one issue that's wrong with Iowa City. It's actually, there's so much wrong with it, and there's so much sin that we see in front of us. And without grace, that's like the culture within our own hearts is, is to pursue what brings us momentary happiness. It's to put value in what we can produce. It's to believe that the only way we can bring change is, is to be outraged in our Calloused and, and graceless hearts are, are self-condemning. They're hateful, they're lustful, and just flat-out sinful. And what we see is until Jesus comes, there will be imperfect people living in imperfect cultures, in imperfect cities. But a relationship with Jesus brings a culture of grace to our own lives and in our own hearts. A gospel explosion starts with our, actually our own little decisions that are harmonizing with this culture of grace put in us through the Holy Spirit. It's not this one big movement that just happens all of a sudden. It's these little decisions that the Christian makes. And that's the gospel explosion that's occurring in Iowa City. It is happening in front of us because it's happening in you, Christian. So we can be joyful, we are redeemed, and we are changed when we are wrapped in the warm and powerful arms of grace. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need you more than anything else, God. We need you more than the house that we live in, more than the car that we drive, more than the education that we're given, more than the culture that we're in, more than the things that that culture offers us. And actually, we need you more than anything else, God. We need you more than the very breath in our own lungs. Now, yeah, I just I don't have the answers. To, to how you engage in Iowa City culture, or what it would even look like exactly to just see the gospel change Iowa City. But I know that, Lord, you constantly confront culture. Scripture shows us that you're constantly confronting culture. Lord, I think of the woman at the well who, according to culture, Jesus had no business, no business whatsoever talking to. But he comes to her and he brings, yeah, just himself. And that's exactly what we need, Lord. We need you. We don't need anything else in this world, Lord. So, yeah, God, just let us live according to the culture of grace that you've given us. Let us live according to that and not according to anything.